0: We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. You are now entering the mind of Morton's Law. Welcome to another edition of Morton's Law. I am your host, Christopher Morton. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me today on this Sunday afternoon. I am broadcasting here. Most likely, this uh, will be up Sunday night. So, check that out. Uh, listen, I'm really asking everybody please write a review of this show on whatever platform you may listen to. I mean, even if I suck, tell me I suck. Right. You suck. That's it. Move on. Kill yourself. I don't know. Anything encouraging. Uh, Also, please uh, subscribe to my new YouTube channel, Morton's Law Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Morton's underscore law. I do appreciate the support. Uh, I just wanted to talk about something a little more serious at this very moment, which is mental illness. I've been pretty open and honest about the battles that I deal with mental illness for pretty much my entire existence. It's not an easy thing to deal with day to day. I battle mostly rage and depression. Uh, For the most part, I've been diagnosed everything that there is. is, you, You've heard it, I've been diagnosed with it, doctors still don't know. What the do doctors really know, let's be honest. They're just kind of guessing, what are you? What do you have? What do you suffer from? Uh, I've lost friends, relationships, jobs, and even to a large degree, my mother. We, we barely have a relationship. Now in my stand up comedy that you've heard here throughout these episodes, Uh, I've kind of talked about my my issues and a lot of my jokes pertain to my mental illness and my upbringing and how difficult it was. And I assure you that this is not a gimmick. This is real. Everything I deal with is real. And uh, I'm even currently reading a book called Angry All the Time. I'm really trying to change, but it's not easy. It's just not easy. Anyone who battles mental illness knows the struggle. It's an everyday struggle. And I'm also guilty of occasionally going too hard on certain people and I say too much. I'm guilty of that. There's no doubt about it. Do I cross the line as a friend? Perhaps sometimes I say too much and I've apologized for that. And look, sometimes as I've learned over the years, you can only apologize so much before people get sick of it. What does sorry really mean? What is the value of sorry? If you say it all the time, it loses its value in any aspect of life. With that said, I am really trying to work on everything that is me. And I'm even returning to therapy quite soon. I've already booked the session. Now, with that said, you would think your friends could either ignore you, occasionally, you know, your outbursts or whatever, maybe even fire back without saying certain things, especially about my condition. You would think that those close or not even close friends, just friends who know of what you deal with and what you battle with, could ignore your I mean curse me out I don't care say whatever you want I mean you know here's the thing here's what happened recently I really thought a friend of mine who knew my condition well he got upset with me and I don't I don't get it I don't don't take away from anyone's emotions if you get upset with me fine let me have it give it to me curse me out call me every name in the book however when you say my mental condition is BS well how can you really be my friend i mean can you now look i suppose people with mental illness can never understand i should say without mental illness excuse me can never understand what we're subjected to daily and it's it's look it's been three days since that person who i thought was a friend said what they said they haven't even tried to apologize not once and i i forgive and forget i'm not a a grudge holder I'm not one of those people go well I don't I need more time I need no you say listen it was wrong for me to say that and of course I would then say all right I apologize for my outburst in this circumstance I made it very clear to the individual that you can't say those things to certain people about your condition is BS that's just not right it's not right you really need to handle situations with more care than that and watch your words. had you said don't use your condition as an excuse. That's fine. That's fine, but when you say my condition is BS, that's just not right. Now, I'll say this, just remember how few friends we actually have in this life and how many people are really just good acquaintances. That's realistic and and sometimes you you see the reality and you see what your what you thought were friends really aren't when they're capable of saying certain things to you. So moving along, listen, this speaking out thing is just, it's really alarming and how many people have been thrown into the fire for the things that they have said or done to women. And I listed some of the people involved in this last week. I'm not going to go over that. What I'm going to go over this time is what I heard on another podcast. And I was actually stunned by this. The fact that an individual host said that people need to lighten up. And that what Sammy Guevara said in terms of wanting to rape Sasha Banks should be construed as a joke. I I don't understand that. First of all, I'm honestly insulted as a comedian, because I'll be brutally honest with you right now. I write rape jokes, albeit frowned upon. But the thing is, I've never actually said I want to rape somebody specifically. I've never said that. I I take some pride in my jokes. And I I just don't understand how someone can just say, I want to rape this person and we should laugh at that, that's not funny. You need some, you need a punchline, right? <laughs> you need a punchline. I mean, you could come to my shows and, I'm not gonna just give out my rape jokes right now because I actually think they're some of the best written rape jokes ever. <laughs> so those who have been to my show have heard a couple of them. Um, yes, I don't condone rape. And contrary to popular belief, I have never raped. So there's that. Uh, so moving along with that, uh, WWE is COVID. Yes, WWE uh, ignored pretty much everything. Vince McMahon didn't want to test. He didn't want to wear masks. He pretty much treated all this like Donald Trump. And now and now he's paying for it in terms of people testing positive. Now they've actually gone and ahead and done tests. And uh, on-air announcer Renee Young. Uh, we'll talk about John Moxley later and how that pertains to that situation going forward. Uh, Kayla Braxton, another on-air uh, personality and producer, former wrestler, Jamie Noble. Many more have tested positive. Other names have not come out. A lot of the what's being known is that Vince McMahon doesn't want people coming out. He wants it to be a secret. He doesn't want to know how bad this is. Some people have said a dozen. Some people have said two dozens. I don't know. But now apparently people are, people have been now given the option to wear masks. Whereas a couple of weeks back, or even as, as early as last week, they were told not to wear masks. If you want to wear a mask, don't show up. That's what i have That's what I found out. So that's unfortunate. And now going forward, we'll see how many more tests positive. I mean, this can get ugly, or they can reverse and and handle this curve. I mean, obviously, the rest of the country isn't doing very well. It's multiple states. Again, some of those delusional people out there will say, "Oh, you can't. You have to ignore this." Blah blah blah. Or just it's not that serious, because only what? 5% of the population that does contract COVID, they still live. 95% of the people live, 5% die. That's pretty much a fact. But still, we do we need to kill people? Does does anyone need to die? I mean, what is it? 125,000 Americans have now perished due to this pandemic? Is that is that necessary? Was it 500,000 worldwide, I believe? That's un- unnecessary. Moving along, the big news of the day, or of the week I should say, I, I mean this was surprising. Now we heard rumblings of issues within the company, and we knew Tessa Blanchard wasn't showing up for Impact tapings, and then out of nowhere we get this news that broke that Tessa Blanchard has been fired from Impact Wrestling. Wow, that's, that's really big news around the wrestling world. Now, reportedly, she refused to send in promos that they requested for the upcoming pay-per-view in which she would have been featured in a match for the Impact title. Uh, right now, there's an interim champion, Moose, and I believe that would have been a match involving, I want to say it was a four-way. I'm, I'm not 100% certain, but I think that was the case. Uh, reportedly, she has wanted more money, and that's why she refused to send in the promos. They couldn't come up with a, with a, with a figure that satisfied her. So Impact just said goodbye, we don't want you here. And uh, wow, that's, that's interesting. When you look at her career there and the things that they've done with her in terms of making her the first female champion of the company, not just of the women's division. Some people can disagree with that. A lot of people do disagree with that. But now we gotta look at her future and now that she's a free agent. And of course, everyone's going to be making that phone call. Who wouldn't make that phone call? She's as talented as there is. She's a top three female worker, debatable. You can argue who you think is the best with Charlotte and Sasha, Bailey, whoever else you want to throw into that mix of who you think is the best worker alongside of Tessa Blanchard. And look, let's let's put it out there. I mean, AEW, you would think they would roll out the red carpet considering her father is already there. And I know they've had an interesting relationship over the years. So I don't know how she really wants to work with him closely. I mean, him being her manager would be ideal, I think. But who knows what they're ready for in terms of their relationship. Um, She already was in NXT briefly. If you remember, she's done multiple stints in doing jobs as a free agent, just coming in occasionally. She, I think she was also in the Mae Young Classic, the initial, and she lost also there. And then Kairi Sane beat her, if I remember correctly. That's another thing. I'm confused that, that if WWE were to ask her to come in, I mean, you would think someone in the company would be smart enough to send Vince a tape and say, okay, she, and all due respect to NXT, she doesn't belong in NXT. She's main roster ready now, I think. I mean, she should get, now granted, she's only 24, has been in the business six years, but she's a draw. I think she's a draw. Now with TNA and Impact, excuse me, you're never going to get to see that because of the entire roster and the lack of star power they have there. She's not going to impact the ratings, which good luck finding access television to begin with. So it's, it's hard to say, okay, well, yeah, she's going to all of a sudden turn Impact into a top player. That wasn't going to happen. But I think main roster with her personality, oh man, she I, I can't imagine her not being a draw. And I even said, I think it'd be amazing. We talk about the full horse women that existed in NXT and still do to a degree this day. But if you were to actually put, now I know they won't do this because it's, it's Vince hates factions and all these other things that factor into this. But if you were to do an actual full horse woman in WWE, I think the ideal stable would be Charlotte, Sasha, Bayley and Tessa Blanchard it doesn't get any better than that she essentially would play the role of her father as Tully I mean it, it doesn't it just that's what it should be so moving along now we've talked about the ratings ad nauseum with NXT and AEW and in talk about big news call it an aberration that's fair NXT not only won the ratings this week, but they dominated. Absolute domination. NXT won the ratings 786,000 to 633,000. The 633,000 was an AEW record low number. It was the biggest margin of victory for NXT since November 27th. Now, a lot of people, and I've talked about this here, I don't want to just repeat myself from last week, but if Vince is involved in the ratings, whether it be NXT or Raw, since the removal of Paul Heyman, not a popular decision long term. However, Vince doesn't care about long term. In the short term, it has proven to work in terms of ratings only. I'm not going to tell you the product is better because that's just I'd be lying to you you bringing out the names that people know. They're gonna watch those names. I don't wanna see those people, but others do. So when you look at the raw rating, under Heyman, it had dropped to 1.7-ish, and now in the last two weeks since the, the removal, it's up to 1.9. So again, Vince making these, again, and we don't know how long this rating will stay at 1.9, how long he'll continue to bring these people back but right now, it looks like the right move in terms of, at this very moment, four ratings, what Vince McMahon wants, not what we want. He's going to laugh and say, I made the right call. And now we're learning more things about Vince and Heyman and how Heyman was really trying hard to convince Vince uh, um, that we need a different philosophy. We need to change. And apparently, McMahon wanted nothing to do with the change. He just wanted results now. Now, when we go back to AEW and their low rating of 633,000, what's going on there? Now, I know they didn't load the show up because they had issues. We'll talk about Moxley in a second. He wasn't there. But could the AEW fans starting to get fed up a little with all the WWE guys that they brought in? Like, I'm reading online how people think FTR is boring. I mean, I I personally understand where the AEW fans are coming from in terms of what they like. That's what they like. Maybe they like more spot fests. Maybe that audience only wants to see their kind of wrestling. That's their preference. Are you going to turn off the AEW fans with hope of bringing in more casual fans and producing actual wrestling instead of just your spot gymnast fest? Whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think the old school mentality is dead in wrestling. I mean, when I read online that FTR is boring, I went, what? How, how could you say they're boring? They're working good matches. We'll talk about their match later. And that's another thing. AW is taking their time. Now, you could talk about the ratings drop, but not everybody was on the show again. So they're building, they're trying at least to build other stars besides the main names we already know. Now, does that come at a sacrifice to the ratings? It could, but at the same time, you say, okay, well, AEW is doing what Paul Heyman wanted to do, but Vince McMahon doesn't. So in order to build stars, we may have to take a couple ratings hits to not just have Cody, Omega, Moxley, Jericho, and others as our faces of the company. We have to get other people up there, because keep in mind, when you mention Chris Jericho, he's over the age of 50. How much time does he have left in the ring? So you have to now look forward to other people as you see the Brian Cages of the of, of the world, the MJFs and the Wardlow's and, and guys that you even, uh, although Jack, I mean, let's be honest, uh, Jack Perry is probably in the mix in that, but then he kind of hasn't been recently, so I don't know what's going on there. But AEW, I, I think they realize this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. But at the same time, when do they continue, let's say this is not an aberration, and NXT starts to win the ratings consistently and the numbers keep dropping, does AEW then panic? Do they panic and then say, oh, well, we gotta go in another direction. We gotta get our main guys out there. Goodbye to everybody else. I don't know, time will tell. And again, pressure will come from TNT if that is the case. I don't think Tony Khan's gonna make that call unless TNT is saying, okay, these numbers are unacceptable. And that's another thing, this was technically a go-home show. Now, I know the pay-per-view, Fighter Fest, is free. Well, free as it could be. I mean, I love how Jim Ross and commentary talk about, we're giving it to you for free, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, are you gonna pay my cable bill this month? Are you gonna pay my high-speed modem bill this month? Because I'm still paying for something. This is not free, I know what you mean. I'm not paying an additional 35, 40, or 50, but it's still not free. Now, with this go-home show, your main event technically was Matt Hardy against Santana. That was your main event. Now, I know initially it was supposed to be Guevara, but of course, he's been suspended due to re- incident we talked about earlier. And of course, they go off the air with Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. That was well done, I thought. It wasn't bad, but how many people... St- Still want to watch Orange Cassidy? I don't know. I don't know what his rating is. I don't have quarter hours. I was really intrigued by the quarter hours because I wanted to see what certain people did, but um, I didn't find that out unfortunately. I thought it was a good segment. Cassie showing some personality, showing some passion for the business. I don't know what kind of match they'll have. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, Cassidy's not a bad worker. It's just the gimmick people. Some people can't stand. Your traditionalists can't stand Orange Cassidy. And Jericho called him out on it at the end of that show. Everything Jericho said about Orange Cassidy, a lot of people feel. The lazy, the in the pockets, the you don't take the business seriously, everything is a joke, blah, blah, blah. People feel that way about Orange Cassidy. And others on the AW roster too. And when we talk about Fighter Fest coming up for the next two weeks, With the rating slot that they've had, I mean, can can we be, would we be fair in saying that they really have to, being this is somewhat of a pay-per-view, that their number has to really get close to a million here? I mean, we talk about the first week of this company on TNT, they drew 1.4, and then they went down to a million, and then everything since has been under a million. I don't think they've drawn a million again, but I could be wrong. However, these next two weeks, will, I think they tell a lot. They tell a lot for AEW. NXT is thrilled right now with their ratings. They have to be. At least, who knows about Vince. I think Vince is happy about anything. I think Vince can get a blowjob and still be miserable about something. I don't know. But we'll see how their ratings go in the next two weeks. Now, moving on to NXT, just their main event in general, the triple threat match for the North American title. Now, you know how much I've come to despise these matches. You know my thoughts. I'll say it again for those first-time listeners. I have realized over the course of time with these triple threat matches, for the most part, I was wrong this time, that I think these matches are booked to where you get that one guy in the match that really shouldn't be in the match, but is in the match just to lose the match. And it becomes a cluster and you really don't need it. However... This scenario was different. You had Gargano in the match and I said, that's another thing. When was the last time Gargano won a big match? It's been a while, right? Since his heel turn, he's lost pretty much every match he's been in. Aside from the tag match where he did pin Keith Lee in that mixed tag with the women involved. And I'm sure he has a squash here and there too. On NXT. I'm just talking about big profile matches. Gargano has essentially lost most of them since turning heel. He hasn't had many. I'm not going to say he's had a lot of them. But you know, as I watch these matches, I start thinking about how scenarios can play out throughout the match. That's my goal. As I watch, okay, how can they go with this finish? What's going to happen? What's the future of this? Then when I think about Gargano being in the match, I went, oh, he's the guy doing the job here. This makes sense. Clearly, as a heel, he could do the job and it won't kill him because I think going forward, Balor is going to be a major player for the title as people get called up. Remember, we don't know how much longer Cole, Lee, even Cross, you could say, have left in NXT. Now, one of the spots, the match was good, by the way. I'm not The, the match was really good for the triple threat. And again, I'm not saying I don't like the matches. I don't like the concept of the match. But the match itself was really good, aside from one odd spot where, out of nowhere, on the outside, Balor's about to give Gargano the the 1916, and then Keith Lee comes and hits him with a pounce and breaks that up. Why would you save Johnny Gargano? If anything in that spot, you would have Gargano's body limp. You could throw Keith. You could take Balor and throw him into the railing roll gargano into the ring and pin him one two three why would you do that didn't make any sense and then to my surprise i was wrong keith lee pinned finn balor so they they wanted to protect gargano i guess because then if they keep beating him what does the heel turn mean he just becomes this cowardly heel that just finds a way to lose every match but I, now I'm confused what their plan is with Balor. That just threw me for a loop. I didn't get that at all. Did you get that? I didn't get that. I don't know. So now we get Keith Liggins, Adam Cole, title for title, right? Now we, we have an opportunity to see a two belt scenario. And that, that seems to be the theme of WWE as we'll talk about Raw, the two belt, everybody wants to be two belts now when you have the two belt scenario you're going to have someone eventually going to give that title up they're not going to walk around with two titles especially two major titles i don't think i can see someone being a major champion alongside a tag champion then there's no need for a tournament but i i would be surprised if the winner of this match is walking around both titles for an extended period of time before we get another tournament Now, we just had the Cruiserweight tournament, so now we're going to probably get a North American title tournament. And I'm also thinking about the possibility of this. What if we don't get a clean finish next week or in two, is that two weeks? I think, yeah, July 8th. They're putting Cole against Lee uh, in the second week of Fighter Fest. I'm sure that's going to be their big main event going up against... I imagine Moxley and Cage Will be the main event Well again we got to talk about Moxley in a minute Um, So I'm thinking this What if you do a killer Kill them killer cross Okay that's fine there's nothing wrong with that Everyone knows he's killer cross But in NXT he's carrying cross He does a run in And takes out both guys And the show goes off the air So we don't get a clear cut winner So both Lee and Cole retain And cross stands over them In the middle of the ring which again would make me fear. Oh no! Here comes another triple threat. Hope not. But that's just my thought. Maybe we don't get a clean finish and a two belt scenario. By the way, how great did Cross look again? I mean, he didn't squash Bronson Reed. They get, Reed did get some offense. We got to see Cross sell a little bit. And I think when all these guys get called up, Bronson Reed may be a bigger player. I, I think they like him. We'll see. Um. I really you gotta love how NXT countered Fighter Fest with the great American Bash concept. I know people online talked about Cody possibly being upset about using that. And of course his father created all that stuff. But I mean this now we can say with these recent ratings, well again, we'll see if it's an aberration. I I started mocking this so-called war and I call I called it a scuffle. Now If these numbers are going to pop like they have been, we can legitimately call this a war. We'll see what happens. And the counter booking is riveting. I love the back and forth. Okay, well, AEW is going to book this match. We're going to counter with this match. Both lineups look incredible for the next two weeks. And you know who wins Is fans, right? We do. We win. We're going to get incredible wrestling. So now let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is John Moxley. What happens? We know he's married to Renee Young and we know she has COVID. I'm inclined to believe. Now, we heard that he had to have a 14-day quarantine to be eligible, or at least that's what people suggest. I don't know how AEW will adhere to that or if they. it's just more about him being there on July 8th. Now, based on the date of Renee Young catching COVID, If you do the math, 14 days would put Moxley eligible exactly July 8th. So it kind of almost worked out in that sense for AEW if they want to say, okay, well, he did his 14 day quarantine. So I believe he's probably being flown from Arizona to Florida. Well, he'll quarantine in Florida for two weeks. And that's that. Now we're looking at what, 10 days for him to quarantine up until July 8th. I haven't heard any new news on that. So as I record this episode Sunday afternoon, late Sunday, almost Sunday evening now, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what what AEW has said about that. We'll find out. And going back to NXT for a second, I'm really curious about the plans for Damian Priest. I, I've been high on Priest. I talk about Damian Priest just because of his look, his size, his ability in the ring. his phenomenal talent. But I'm starting to question if they even like this guy. Now, don't get me wrong, Cameron Grimes is a phenomenal talent. Good on the mic, good worker, you name it. But for them now to be gearing towards, it looks like Grimes is going to be the one getting the bigger push. Although, I mean, they could go with a feud here. It seems like Grimes is feuding with two people simultaneously. He has Priest, then he has Balor. Um, They must like Grimes a lot, clearly. I mean, I know Jeremy Borash knows Grimes from Impact when he was Trevor Lee. That may play a factor in that. I'm sure Burash is always talking to Triple H, as he's pretty much his right-hand guy there in Impact, uh, excuse me, NXT. Um, so we'll see what happens. Now I get Grimes winning this match because you had to sell the whole incident with him being uh, having his what his ribs with the car door, and Grimes attacked him before the match. So Priest had to sell this injury, and then Grimes ended up winning. I get that. That's fine. I get it. But uh, going forward, I'm I'm really curious what they do with with Damian Priest. Is he a player? Or is he not? And this week they had to try, and I know it's not easy, to rebuild the character of Rhea Ripley. And they have, they have her doing all this backstage vignettes with Robert Stone, her throwing him in a garbage can because he's trying to recruit her to his now basically nothing of a faction since Chelsea Green has been called up to the main roster. Has she debuted yet? I don't even know. I, mean, I don't think she has. I know she wasn't on Raw. I didn't see SmackDown. I was going to say that later, but I didn't get to see SmackDown. I'll talk about a few things from that show, though, in a minute. So here's the thing about Rhea Ripley. She's young. She's new to the business. And I think fans are going to forget what happened with Charlotte and all that stuff. And eventually she'll be booked strong and people will get behind her again. And and she'll be a star at some point. Rhea Ripley is going to be a star. I just worry about what they've done with her character in terms of taking her from this badass gimmick to now she's somewhat neutered and with a little bit of a more personality versus just being that badass that just destroys people. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. What happened to Roderick Strong? And I don't just mean the gimmick, but what happened to his look? Did you see him in the ring against Dexter Loomis? How much weight he's lost in the upper body? I mean, I know we have a pandemic, but it looks like he stopped working out. I mean, he looks considerably smaller than I recall Roderick Strong ever looking. And again, if you want to kill what they're doing with him in this gimmick and storyline with Dexter Loomis, feel free. I get it. Any diehard NXT fan hating on this, you have every right to. It's stupid. I'm not going to deny that. But again, what I'll say is this. For all those people who feel, oh, now Vince is involved and Vince is going to kill NXT, just dial it down and remember this is now a two-hour show i know it's been a two-hour show for a while however the ratings haven't been there and how much are you really going to sacrifice or or compromise the integrity of this company by doing a couple stupid sketches sketches you're not you're not going to kill nxt i I can't imagine until vince mcmahon touches the in-ring product to where now it looks like monday night raw which we've seen in the two weeks that bruce pritchard has taken over shorter matches more interviews more talking less wrestling when that happens to nxt nxt jump off the ship jump off because it's a sinking ship then then we're not then we're getting raw light smackdown light i do not believe that will happen a couple sketches is not gonna hurt nxt moving along back to aew Uh, The show opened up with Wardlow against Luchasaurus and a Lumberjack match, something we don't see much anymore. I thought it was a good big man match for the most part. I can nitpick a couple aspects of it. I mean, I know Luchasaurus is part luchador, part dinosaur. So I guess his shooting star press, whatever. Again, we talk about big men showing his agility. I'm not going to kill it. Some people may. Uh, I thought it was good work at the end. I I like the MJF involvement with him distracting the referee, then Wardlow, I believe, hit a low blow, got the pin. The chaos post-match was what EW needs more of. AW would tease a lot of that post-match chaos. Now we're getting it. Now we're getting the post-match chaos, and it works. We'll see if it translates in the ratings in the future. But they need more chaotic situations where not everything just comes to an end with a pull-apart. I wanna see people fight. Let's get ugly first before you do a pull apart, not just, oh, we're going to be OK. Everything's fine. No, uh, the Cody Hager press conference was blah. I thought it's just when I talk about blah, I mean, OK, what are you going to turn off? Again, most people think, like why wasn't it in the ring? You know what I mean? Why, was, why were they not in the ring? Now, I know you're going to say, oh, well, OK, do we need another press conference or a contract signing that ends in a brawl? Maybe you don't. I'm not saying you do. But then we get Arn Anderson who just droned on, and I love Arn Anderson, but do AEW fans care about Arn Anderson, what he has to say? I don't know, I doubt it. I don't think they do. And then Cody said something interesting about Ricky Starks only having $3.67 in his bank account when he came to, A- when he came to Dynamite. So you're telling me the NWA doesn't pay? That's <laughs> Is that why he left? <laughs> Billy Corgan wasn't paying anybody? in the nwa or does ricky stark just not know how to handle money i don't know what you're saying i I know i know i know why they did that i get it i'm joking and then cody said that he likes professional wrestling and not cosplay or any other phony crap well uh cody you might want to have that talk with tony then about having people like joey janelle and marco stunt and others on your broadcast that kind of looks a little cosplay just saying I don't know if that was an indirect dig at his own company. Could have been. I don't know. Because, look, he comes on the criticism for being more of the, the head of the company, you could say. People think of AEW, think of, of Cody, right? Cody's the bigger name out of all those people, I guess. I mean, oh well. So the press conference concluded with no real violence. And a uh, side note that Jake Hager's wife is hot. Yes, I couldn't. I'm like, wow. Now, I know she had been on TV in the past where they made out on on a pay per view, but you see her again, you're like, wow, she is hot. Now, the next match, again, ratings wise, who out there as a wrestling fan is going to care about Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss against Brody Lee and Colt Cabana? Are you changing the channel as soon as you see this? I think most people are. I couldn't tell you exactly what was on NXT at this current time because not every NXT match is great either. You have some of your squash matches on NXT and some of the women's matches are just okay. But who cares about this? And I'm not going to tell you the match was good or bad. I didn't watch a lot of it. I was busy doing other things. But I'm just talking from the standpoint of who cares? Next up, we get FTR against SCU. This was great. This is what wrestling should be. This was a quality match. And unfortunately, though, I don't think today's fans, and not just AEW fans, I don't want to just throw them under the bus. I think there's a lot of newer wrestling fans who don't comprehend this style of work from yesteryear, 80s, 90s. You don't, they're not going to get this. They like to see people jumping off the ropes, high octane offense, stuff that never stops. What do you get with SCU and FTR? They slow it down. They work holds. They give you good tag team wrestling. I know Jim Ross during the broadcast mentioned a couple times about using the tag rope. And even through people under the bus, not by name, but saying some wrestlers, they don't even know there is a tag rope. What is this for? He's right. I mean, look, Jim Ross sometimes goes off on tangents and kills individuals and the company in general. But in that aspect, he's right about that. This match it was great. You got you got a clean finish. They worked well. Everybody was good and and, and FTR won, as they should. And the post match though, ah, it was kind of blah. I mean, you know, you had you had the Booker, the Booker. <laughs> no, the Booker and the Blade, the Butcher and the Blade on the truck. And then you had uh, the return of Pentagon who's been in Mexico. I don't, I don't I'm confused how he was able to get back. But he's back along with Phoenix. And uh, they went after FTR, and then the Bucks came out and made the save. So you have that brewing. That's going to be an eight man match at Fighter Fest. I'm inclined to believe that they're building towards the Bucks and FTR going at it. I can't. I'm inclined to believe they'll they'll lose the match, and then there'll be finally tension amongst the four, may even get a little brawl. There's got to be. I mean, look, they're building slowly with this, and it makes sense. But eventually the payoff is coming and we're going to get their match. The question is, who is going to be the face? Who is going to be the heel? I don't know. I don't I don't know if I want to see these two teams go at it with, with two faces or two heels. They have to make that decision. I wasn't a real fan of this segment in terms of the Omega page, I guess, promo, vignette, whatever you want to call it in terms of. Talking about how they're going to be taking on the best friends at Fighter Fest, it just was blah. It made me go, "Why do I care about you two? You guys come off as soft. It sounded all weak and soft. And I know they're baby faces, but there's no emotion. There's just like I know Paige is running his gimmick, but Omega kind of just comes off as blah. That's just, this is why Kenny Omega cannot be a baby face. He sucks as a baby face. He has so much more passion. When you go watch his work in New Japan with Bullet Club and again a lot of people are still gonna hate Kenny Omega for a lot of things he does but he had passion in his promos he was he was a good heel he worked the heel he worked everything well and right now I think it's just blah it's just blah that's it so yeah I asked that question do you care about that match now after seeing that you would you I mean granted people are gonna care about Omega and Paige but And that's another thing. How much do you care about the best friends? I'm just talking ratings. What what product are you giving me? What am I watching? What is the casual fan watching? It's not about me. You know, I'm watching. I have to do this podcast. I'm watching. Uh, Taz's promo was phenomenal. Talking about Moxley. Using uh, using an excuse not to be here, which we all know is not an excuse. It's legitimate, but it's just good good stuff. Good promo out of Taz. And uh, that match should be again, I'm, I'm I'm not concerned, but I, I don't know if you can beat another guy that you're bringing in. I mean, all these guys they brought in, they beaten. you know, Archer, Lee, now Cage. can you beat him now, too? I don't know. I'm not saying Moxley's gonna drop the title, but I think you have to have a screwy finish at least. And if Moxley loses the title, maybe via screwdrop, there's gotta be something where it's just not another clean finish for Moxley. So uh, we're going to come back. We got to talk about Monday Night Raw. There's a few things that happened on the show, not a lot. And then we're going to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling just a little. And then we have some uh, UFC that took place Saturday night in Vegas to talk about. So you're listening to Morton's Law. Thank you for joining me. We're coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. Thank you everybody for joining me on this edition of Morton's Law. This is episode 19 now. I didn't say that at the beginning, but 19 episodes in, we're still going. Haven't been canceled yet. Who knows? (coughs) Still have my gnat issue. Not fun. I'm going to use the fogger finally. I've been told to use the fogger in the past, but now I'm going to just blow up my whole apartment. And hope I kill them all, because it's it's brutal. It really is. I was being tortured the other night. They just kept biting me nonstop. So moving along, we're gonna go to RAW briefly, like I said before the break. Now again, Nia Jax is being shoved down our throats. She's in the ring, and then uh, she pulls a nepotism card with Charlotte Flair. That's the easy card to pull, right? Out comes Charlotte. Now I thought for a second, this could get good, and by good, I mean Charlotte firing back and saying something like, yeah, my father is Ric Flair, but why don't we talk about you and who you're related to? I mean, wouldn't that be fun? But no, Nia Jax is so protected, we can't even get that much. I want to see that. Let's, Let's put it out there who Nia Jax is connected to. Come on. Let's talk about her family and the connection to The Rock and the Samoan legacy. We can't talk about that, it's frustrating. So now, of course, Charlotte injured her shoulder and she's gonna be out an extended period of time with the injury. We later on get the match against Asuka. Charlotte taps out, which you expect she's gonna leave. So you put the over, Asuka makes sense. Now, a lot of people are sick of Charlotte, so they won't miss her. A lot of people are probably thrilled she got injured. And I don't get it. Why do people not like Charlotte? Now, I'm not going to defend how she's been roughly thrown down our throats as much as Nia Jackson recent weeks. And you want to say Charlotte's on all three brands, and that was too much, her winning those titles, as she did. But isn't the goal to see good in-ring wrestling? And that's what Charlotte provides us every time she's in the ring. Are you going to tell me now that Charlotte's gone and we see Becky's gone? Are we going to really get better matches going forward without them or without Charlotte specifically? Not everybody can work like Charlotte. There's going to be some sacrifice when you push other people not named Charlotte Flair, regardless how much you despise her. And yes, she has an ego. Yes, I've heard she doesn't want to put certain people over. But when you're at that top and the name fits... You're gonna protect yourself I get that so we now we finally get this tag match okay we finally get this world tag team title match war Raiders Street Profits we get the whole we can do this better than you can blah 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 whatever the hell it was called I don't even care we get the garbage match at backlash and now we get a match that I think will matter Right? Now, I suppose I'm the fool... For thinking we get something different... Perhaps something serious... Because this... Albeit it wasn't a bad match... But are you kidding me... That it was, they, they got five minutes... Five... Minutes! Go look at it! I don't even think there was a commercial break... Five... Minutes! And the War Raiders... They lost... And then they got zero heat afterwards. And you can make a claim. They killed them. How did they kill him? They had him hug the Street Profits afterwards. Unbelievable. That was so poorly done. And look, I know Garza and Andrade came out afterwards. And they jumped the Street Profits. And then the War Raiders made the save. And I guess they're going to go in that direction now. Is having that match. You get the true heels against the faces. But how do you bring the War Raiders back from this? Good luck. If they even care. I don't know what you could do with these guys now. Great promo from Edge. Incredible. Edge, I mean, that when he brought up the whole Rated R Superstar and the passion in those promos. I mean, that is as top-notch a promo as you're going to cut. Incredible. And then in the ring, we get Ric Flair comes out, right? And then we get Orton, and then The Big Show. And they said The Big Show, they called him a legend and a future Hall of Famer. Now, I know in WWE, listen, anyone can be a Hall of Famer. Let's be honest about that. Now, I don't want to dismiss The Big Show's career, but... If he is going to be a Hall of Famer, which, of course, he will be, because, like I, as I just mentioned, the company puts everyone in, is Big Show the legend? I don't know. I don't think he is. The Big Show is the equivalent to a major league hitter that hits 500 home runs, but they do, like, 25 home runs a year. They never have a major year. Never have a major year, and they still are Hall of Fame eligible but perhaps no one, people said, oh, well, what did that guy really do in his career? He never led the league in home runs. He was a compiler. You can make a case the big show is a, a compiler by just being around for so long. And perhaps people go, oh, well, he's still here. So that means he's better than we thought he was. I I, I don't know. I, I think he's okay. I think he's average, maybe above average, but I don't think he's a legend. By the way, did you hear when, when Charlie Caruso. <laughs> Talk to um randy orton i forgot to... <laughs> this was funny she says she says um you critically injured christian <laughs> is christian on his deathbed that we don't know about is <laughs> critically injured christian she said May... uh, perhaps i'm paraphrasing but she used the word critically unbelievable um is there a... can we get an apb out on Shayna Baszler, ricochet cedric alexander all oh, right. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, just check catering. That's where they are. Oh my God! Please just let them go back to NXT. Just let them go. All four of them. Goodbye. Go back. Excuse me. Three of them. Cause uh, you know what? Initially, until I saw the end of Raw, I had, had Alistair Black, but then Alistair Black actually did appear at the end of Raw. <laughs> so, I just please do something with them. I shit on most of this product, and and rightfully so. But occasionally occasionally they do something right and Bailey and Sasha are gold and if you if you disagree with that then you just hate to hate I don't hate to hate I'm honest and I don't have an agenda so I love Sasha and Bailey everything they do on the mic everything in the ring is top notch I could watch them all day they're that good so they beat this trash team, the Iconics. I, I don't even know how they're there, but they're there. Then we get this little interesting segment where Sasha says, I'm jealous that you have dos belts. Then they make us think that she's going to challenge Belly for her title. Only for Belly to challenge Asuka. Bravo. Well done. That was perfect. I love that. Then Asuka came out, and they jumped there, and that was also perfect. And again, like I always say, as fans, we're the winners. Because when you think about what Asuka and Sasha Banks, the kind of match they can have without restrictions, will be phenomenal. Great match. Thank you. Moving along, New Japan Pro Wrestling, the New Japan Cup. The second round has started... However, I am behind. I can only watch so much wrestling. I'm sorry. It is really difficult with New Japan back, especially. Think about how many hours of wrestling you have to watch in a week. And I try to do other things, even though I'm technically not working during this pandemic. I'm preparing. Uh, I have so much on my plate. So I, um, I apologize. I couldn't watch the end of I couldn't watch the start of the second round. I'm technically still on the end of the first round. And I'll talk about some of the other first round matches that I didn't get to mention last week which is uh, the Obushi and Zack Sabre Jr. match. It was good, but it wasn't the classic I thought we were going to get. It was actually shorter than that. I usually talk about New Japan matches and then being really sometimes way too long than you need. But this match was relatively short for New Japan, and the finish kind of came out of nowhere. Like, for the most part, Zack Sabre Jr. was winning the match, and in Obushi hits his Kamagoye and wins, and that was it, the match was over. I was like, what, no false finish, nothing. That was it, the match was over. I was surprised by that booking, but I'm not gonna kill it. And then the main event of that night, Tanahashi against Tai Chi, and this was perfection. So well done, I can take a lot of flack for what I'm about to say, and that's fine. Everybody has an opinion, you're entitled to that opinion, I know I am in the vast minority when I say the following. I respect and I and I see the talent and the career that Tanahashi has had, but I don't get Tanahashi. I don't get it. And I know everyone's head just exploded. I don't get it. I think he's a, a phenomenal worker, but he just comes across to me as, and I know this is a, a really bad word in the word in the world of wrestling. He's generic. I think Tanahashi is generic. I mean, does he sell well? Of course he sells well. I'm not going to deny what he does. But in terms of, I'll put it to you like this. In terms of ratings, do I crave to see a Tanahashi match? No, I don't. I don't. I get how good he is, though. I recall when Tanahashi went to Impact Wrestling back then was TNA. And he had a match, I want to say in 2008, against AJ Styles. And I went, who's this Tanahashi guy? I didn't know who he was. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, what does this guy do? That's so amazing. I just uh, and again, uh, look, I'm guilty of it sometimes too. Where you talk about all these new impact high moves and all these spots that everyone's doing today, and when you hear somebody's coming from Japan, you expect to see some innovative maneuvers, something amazing. And I feel like Tanahashi, okay, he has the sling blade, but other than that, the high fly flow, what is that? That's, Ricky Steamboat was doing that in the 80s. I'm just saying, what what is... Now, he, again, he's a good worker, but generic. People kill me for that all the time. I know that. I know people are going to... People's heads are probably spinning right now. I, how could you not like Tanahashi? Sorry. So when Tai Chi won this match clean, without interference, without 25 false finishes, without needing 60 minutes... I went, yay! Tai Chi is good. I like Tai Chi. I like the personality, the whole gimmick with the the mic and them singing, and it's it's funny. It's it's it's, it's that is entertaining without being stupid. That's entertaining, and the guy can go in the ring. And then we get, uh, what, the other match I got to see was Goto against Ushiro Takahashi. This was good. This was this was I like this matchup. They went back and forth. A lot of good hard work from both guys. I love Goto's theme song, by the way. If you don't, if you're not familiar with the Goto theme song, go listen to it. It's it's it gets you pumped up. And then you had Jado interfere. There was one interesting spot though, where Kevin Kelly, I got to listen to the English commentary version of this match because that comes out a couple of days after the Japanese commentary. And Jado, who is on the outside, of course, hits Goto with the kendo stick, but the ref is down. Ref is down and Kevin Kelly goes, well, he didn't see that. And I thought, but he heard it, right? <laughs> he heard it. How did you not hear the kendo stick? Regardless, uh, Goto prevailed. He hit the uh, the GTR for the win. He actually used a reverse GTR in this, in this match, which looked more impactful than the regular GTR, but that didn't get the win. This did, so Goto advances. So, again, I'll apologize for not being able to catch up. I want to mention SmackDown. I didn't get to see it. I did hear about the Taker tribute. Uh, Taker's tribute was well done, according to everyone, what they say. They showed the Boneyard match again, and the ratings popped. I think uh, they had a 2.1, but at one point, I think SmackDown had a 2.7 for his segment specifically. So that, that says a lot about bringing these guys back, I guess. I mean, oh, well. So we're going to come back on the other side with one more brief segment. We're going to talk about the UFC from Saturday night in Vegas. Morton's law back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. Thank you for checking out this show. I appreciate it. Please, again, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Morton's Law Podcast, and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Morton's underscore law. I appreciate the support. And please, again, I ask, write reviews of the show. Let me know how it is. Please, I could use those reviews. Thank you very much for your cooperation. Saturday night, UFC had a show in Vegas. And listen, all these shows during this pandemic have been incredible. If you're a fan of the UFC, you're getting your money's worth all the time with every show. It's like you can make a case like every card has had a match of the year candidate. That's how good every show has been. And last night was no different, Saturday night. The main event was incredible. Dustin Poirier against Hooker. I mean, this was so good. Like I said, fight of the year candidate. And it's going to be really hard. when we. And, and keep in mind, we're just in June. We're approaching July. And right now, you have about five different fights you could pick from fight of the year. And we still have another six months. Just amazing. And and Michael Bisbing, who I can't stand most of the time, but had a good line on commentary. He actually said, this is the best fight I've seen since the last fight I watched. And that's apropos for that. That is the the perfect statement. It's true. Now, I'll say this. As great of a fight as this was, and this fight was more great to the casual fan. The fan who likes to see them stay in the pocket and bang at all costs. The fight where there's not much technical aspect to it. And to be brutally honest, This match was technically flawed in every aspect. Neither guy really defended. The head movement was poor. They were just getting punched in the face. It was almost like Gaethje and Ferguson, how Ferguson just ate a million shots in his face. Didn't even try to get out of the way. And Poirier is the third-ranked light heavyweight in the world. He's lost to Conor and Khabib. Now, there's speculation that his next fight could be against El Kikui, Tony Ferguson. Let's be honest, that if Poirier fought the exact fight against Conor, Khabib, or Ferguson, these elite fighters, the fight he fought last night, he would lose. There's no doubt he would lose that fight. And my, my takeaway from last night's fight is simply this. Poirier is not ready to become champion. Those loopy punches and his terrible decision to just leave his chin out there. Dustin Poirier was fortunate to win this fight last night. And he barely survived. He won, what was it? 48, 47, 48, 47, 48, 46. One judge game a 10-8 round, which I didn't understand. I didn't think he won any round 10-8. But if you had him at minus 240, you cashed in, right? You had to you had to go through that stress of multiple times in that fight where you're like, wait, he could get knocked out right here. I mean, he looked like he was going to go out. There were a couple moments where he pulled a Ferguson and stayed strong. Now, in the co event, this was, talk about entertainment. So, Mike Perry, coming off a couple losses, basically fired everybody. He doesn't have a corner. His corner person for this fight was his girlfriend. His girlfriend with, I don't believe, any MMA experience, just a fan, I don't know, I didn't delve into her her history, I don't believe she knows much more than what he has taught her, was his corner person against Mickey Gall. Now, going into this fight, I, just based on the the whole corner situation, now Mike Perry was with Jackson Winklejohn. And I guess he had an issue with Winkle John over the whole Donald Cerrone fight in which he got submitted in and it really bothered him and that's why he didn't have the good rapport with Winkle John and he kind of just left there which is really surprising because is the camp where you would want to stay because they make champions. But nonetheless and and Mickey Gall who hasn't fought a lot. Okay, every most people will know Mickey Gall for his win over CM Punk which I think most people would beat CM Punk with the little experience he had in that in that situation, but Gall has had a couple good wins since, and I like his his BJJ aspect. Not to mention the fact that Perry has had a couple meltdowns, and he kind of lost his fights just because of the mental aspect of it. Remember how much fighting is mental. So I thought at plus two seventy, Mickey Gall was the play here. I went online. I I, I tweeted that Mickey Gall take him at 270, I like his chances, now they get into the cage, and Gall, Gall landed early, Gall landed early, and often Gall was really getting inside of Perry's defense, and which surprised a lot of people, now Gall is known for his BJJ, but his striking has improved in his last few fights, and he was landing, he was getting right through the middle, he was just knocking, I mean, a lot of guys might have gone down, Perry's tough, And Gaul was hitting him. But then as the fight went on, and I know a lot of people enjoyed the the corner situation in between rounds with the advice that Perry's girlfriend gave to him, which was essentially just telling him he's doing great and keep up the good work and stuff like that. I mean, obviously she's not going to provide any technical advice, but that was interesting for a lot of people. So as the fight went on, Perry stayed composed. And he adjusted to Gauls surprising and striking. And the big issue in this fight, and where the fight turned, is when Gaul started getting tagged. Gall started getting tagged, and he started to feel Perry's power. And Perry is a knockout guy. I mean, he can just drop you. And to, to Gaul's credit, he took a lot of, of shots on the chin, and he stayed up. But then he said, okay, I can't stay on my feet anymore. And he went for takedowns. Not one, not two, not three. I believe, Four failed takedowns in which Perry sprawled or just stayed upright completely and avoided. That was the difference in this fight. Incredible work out of Mike Perry. I tip my hat to him for the win. Um, And that was another part that I I almost failed to mention here, is that there was a situation in which Gall was in a position on his back with Perry underneath him, with Perry trying to get a, a rare naked choke. And I remember listening to Dominic Cruz, who's the best in the business in terms of the commentary. He's 1A and Cormier is right there, too. They're they're both great. Cormier didn't work the show. I said Bisping did. But Cruz made the point of the fact that Gall needs to go left and get out of that position, and he did. He went left. He got out of it. He put Gall into a Kimura briefly, and Perry escaped easily. So Gaul did what, what what Cruz suggested, but then Perry just powered out of everything. And I was impressed to see that. So Perry, if you watched his post-fight interview, I mean, that was incredible. That was a show itself. Him talking about the government and how he's not asking for more money, but he just wishes the government took less of his money and that he's struggling and now he wants to go to Florida and he wants to train with multiple people, this and that. And hey, listen, no doubt he's a beast. If you can stay mentally composed mike perry is a legit challenger for any title and i mean he could fight at probably two different weight classes he's a beast i'm sure he could cut weight although he did say something about having the second best physique in the in the uh, in the ufc next to francis nagano i want to say yoel romero still fighting in the ufc so i'm gonna put Yolo romero in that conversation in terms of best physique not probably natural but whatever <laughs> i mean <laughs> it is what it is right So the other fight and the reason I'm going to bring this fight up is because, again, people were asking me about this card because there's a lot of degenerate gamblers and people will bet on anything. Even if they don't know the UFC, they're going to say, well, what do you think? Now, Jan Jan Vellante was coming up in weight to fight at heavyweight against this this relatively newcomer, although he's eight and five green and Vellante was a plus two hundred. And I looked at the history of both fighters and I saw Green was coming off two fights, two losses. Now I know he did join the Jackson camp that I recently mentioned. So I knew he would be improved. However, I still like the experience of Volante. Now what I didn't know <laughs> and where I dropped the ball is I didn't see the weigh-ins. I didn't see the weigh-ins and I didn't know that Volante came in looking pregnant. I know he recently gave birth, well his wife recently gave birth, but he looks like he's still pregnant. However, with that said, he still dominated most of this fight, I thought. I thought he dominated this fight. And I was wrong. I'll tell you that in a minute. But third round, Vellante drops him. He drops him. He's on top of him. He's in control. Now, there's like three minutes roughly when he gets on top of him. So there's still a lot of time to work. And he did very little from the top. Very little. At one point, I thought he fell asleep. He looked like he just literally fell asleep while he was not in that position yet to to, to get a better position. Then, he, he woke up a little and he started to move more towards Green's head. And he was almost in, oh, well, he was in a side mount at that point. He was in a side mount. Well, not completely side mount because his legs were still in the, 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 the mount position. But nonetheless, out of nowhere, I'm sitting here eating dinner watching this. I blinked. I swear to you, I blinked. And all of a sudden, I see Green up celebrating that he won. And I went, what the? What happened? What did I miss? They had to show me the replay. And I still cannot believe what I watched. I can't believe this happened because I've been watching UFC since 1. 1990, was it 3 or 4? UFC 1. And I've never seen this before. Volante got into a position where he got too close and green literally grabbed him with what they consider they called the head and arm triangle and Volante who uh, reportedly has an asthma issue got so close to his chest that he couldn't breathe and instead of even trying to fight out of this predicament he tapped out almost immediately and think about that for a second if you have this fight at plus 200 you're thinking Vellante's is gonna win now. He's gonna win. You're gonna cash this, and this this all happened with under a minute left. I couldn't believe that. So I reached out to one of my contacts, who covers the UFC. You could check her out on Twitter, Heidi Fang. I'm gonna try to have her on the show soon, by the way. MMA expert. She also has her own podcast. You could check her out. Um, I asked her if she could go find out what the judges had on the scorecards prior to the third round because this was crucial because I thought Volante at least won the first or second round you could flip a coin according to the strikes on the stats Volante was ahead he had more significant strikes and every time you hit green green was backing up I don't think green did more damage to my surprise uh, Heidi Fang sent me the scorecards via text message and all three judges had Green ahead 10-9, 10-9, so he was up 20-18 to 18 going into the third round, which means this, that even with Volante's dominant third round, let's say the round expired and they went to the scorecards. Now, John Anik has been a big proponent of this in terms of judges not scoring 10-8, and he's been explaining the rules on air, how judges need to score more rounds 10-8. It's not like it used to be where you almost had to kill a guy in a round to get a 10-8. If you dominate the round, you win 10-8. If you kill a guy, it's 10-7. You can even go 10-7, 10-6, whatever. So based on the judges giving Green both first and second rounds, I, I would be hard-pressed to believe they would have given Volante a 10-8 round, which would have been a draw. I don't think we would have had a draw. So Green would have won despite losing the third round in such a dominant fashion because of the first two rounds it still boggles my mind oh well unfortunately you didn't cash in on that but you got the poirier for those who took my bets that is i felt bad i don't get me wrong i felt bad that mickey gall didn't have a better fight but i mean perry showed up so that's it for this episode i appreciate you guys checking me out and uh continue to support the show thank you very much I'm not sure when. uh, I imagine I'll be back with it. I'm probably going to start doing these shows more on Sundays. I like Sundays. And uh, so, again, thank you for listening to Morton's Law. Take care, and God bless gay sex.